All right, here we go. Coming up on the show, it's the Coen Brothers cult classic, The Big Lebowski. This is the Con Major Podcast. I'm Brian Costello. And of course, joining me is fellow Con Major Jim DeSanto. What's up, Jim? How are hey. you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. Uh, today, <laughs> we're going to be talking about quite possibly our favorite film, at least the two of us watching it together of all time, The Big Lebowski, as you mentioned. Before we get into that, our most pressing question of every episode, what is it that we will be drinking for today's episode? Jim, what do you got for us? Tonight, I am going with another bourbon. Uh, This one is E.H. Taylor uh, Small Batch Bourbon. It was a gift from uh, uh, the... Reed, Curran Reed contingency, uh, Jerry and Lisa Curran Reed, um, for my birthday, and it is delicious. Uh, how many bottles of bourbon slash whiskey did you receive for your 40th birthday? You know, it's funny, I didn't actually count, but I think it was probably close to 30. Yeah, oh, well, I thought I think I counted 26, and I'm counting, but I think 30 was probably right because I probably missed some of those. Yeah. Uh, for myself, I am going very local today, as in I could walk from my house to the brewery that uh, produced my beer today. I am drinking for those who can see on the simulcast uh, and stream uh, Shovel Town beer, which is in Easton, Mass., Northeastern Mass., and I'm drinking Twinecutter, fantastic beer. Uh, they started up in 2017. Uh, it's one of my favorite pale ales. It's a delicious, great spot to go to. Jim is supposed to uh, come up here soon and visit, and we will go there, yeah, we need to, of course, we need when to, he comes there. We need um, to get that done. But, you know, obviously, since we're doing the Big Lebowski, one of us should have probably drank a white Russian, but Jim has established in our previous episode that he finds milk repulsive to drink. So he was out of the equation. I, uh, I, I, I think, uh, Kahlua is pretty repulsive as well. And I do not, I've never been a vodka fan. So, I mean, vodka is just like the, the most boring alcohol. I think, I think the last time I saw someone, attempt to drink a white Russian was our friend Pat in Oof. college. He, he, this, he came over to my dorm room. He proceeded to make himself a white Russian, spill it all over the floor. <laughs> and then in Walter Sovac fashion, we just said, ah, F it, let's go to the party, <laughs> left the white Russian all over the floor, uh, for my roommate to clean up. <laughs> that which is was, a, which was her was was really about and, and lame a thing as you could do. But that to, is the last time I saw anybody attempt to drink a white Russian. I, I mean, think. you didn't have a bad relationship with your roommate, but to say that you were acquaintances, you weren't even like. No, yeah, but he was a, he was a very I mean he was a good roommate. I was probably a worse roommate. Than yeah, he was. <laughs> we were very different styles. Uh, but he was a great and a very nice guy. Uh, that's uh, awesome. But yeah, it wasn't like a, a we were put together as part of a oh. Res Life program. So. Dude, I just noticed before we get started, you're uh, a little decorating there with Fozzie Bear and and uh, yeah. Well, who- we that was their last episode. My son ah. said why he's there. We've added some stuff each episode. Good. Um, good. Uh, to keep some Easter eggs for people to see. Awesome. And I should note that I don't see uh, this helps nothing for somebody watching a podcast. That's but, okay. Like, listening to the podcast. Uh, so we both have things. Jim has a great rack of guitars behind uh, that we were talking about in the last podcast. And actually a friend that I work with was commenting. He watched and loved your guitar setup. Awesome. 
to yeah, kind of I, I like how awesome your guitars were. He's a musician as well. So he was <laughs> he was very impressed with that. Um, but that's what we're drinking. And we'll move on here. Uh, usually right now we're going to go into our uh, just the fact segment. But I want to do a few fact checks from our getting to know you podcast. Some things that oh. I was able to look at in the time uh, we spent a, a little bit of time discussing my Charles in charge uh, bedroom. Uh, and we were not quite clear on Scott Bayo's credentials as an actor. So I did some research. Scott Bayo, in fact, was has 55 full acting credits, according what? to IMDb. Uh, now, while most of them now that's credits. Now, yeah. if you're in television, a single an episode does not count as a credit. So he was 55 different roles he's been a part of. Uh, some of them movies, Baby Genius 2, we were right about, which is the worst <laughs> feud mostly in uh, Rotten Tomatoes history. Um, but he was in, of course, Arrested Development. Oh, uh, that's right. Lawyer, if Bob you remember correctly, Bob blah, blah, blah. And he was uh, also, of course, in a hundred and twenty six episodes. And I printed this out for people watching the stream uh, of the amazing Charles in charge. So for those yeah. of you listening on the pod, I'm holding up a cast photo uh, from the second season of Charles in charge. <laughs> I did. I printed this out on the color printer. I did not buy the fifty two dollar this uh, cast signed one. Yeah. And I will put this on the wall. Um, in an attempt to persuade Scott Bayo to come on the program at some point. This this is why this podcast will be a gigantic and huge, is the amount of research and commitment to the facts that Brian has. Scott Bayo um, could come on the show if somebody knows him. Scott Bayo might listen to the show. Uh, second quick fact check. Uh, the movie that I walked through when they were setting up craft services was, in fact, called Analyze This. Uh, it was filming in the summer of 1998, came out in 1999, and it starred Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal. So we were right on that. And it was directed by uh, Harold Ramis, the late wow. Harold Ramis, who was Amazing and actually was a huge hit, so much so that they made Analyze That, which was the sequel to it. Again, all I saw was craft services, but I wanted to bring up the quick fact check point that Jim's um, description of why craft services got its name for best the research I could do was pretty much spot on. Really? It was service the craft of that. There was no other kind of story about that, but they did. People, when I was reading about it, did want it to be pointed out that craft services is not catering. So apparently what happens is catering is they will actually bring in a dinner or a meal from a restaurant. Craft services will serve food and drinks throughout the entire day. So okay. there's apparently in that industry, there's a big uh, designation difference. I, I I don't know. We have no craft services. It sounds ours. like they're a little bit like the sharks and the jets. Like I imagine craft services and catering, like yeah. snapping and 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 getting in knife fights to yeah, figure I out who serves the actors. craft services there all the time, I think. But probably people are more excited to see catering. <laughs> I, I don't know. We don't yeah. have either. So it doesn't really matter. I had a couple of pretzels before the show started. Uh, so that's just fact check our last episode now into just the facts and we'll start getting into the big Lebowski uh, big Lebowski was the film that was released on March 6 1998 which is part of the reason we picked it it's celebrating right now it's 20th anniversary um, Yep. It was re-released in theater for a short run in August. I got to go and see it in the theater. I did not see it 
when it was originally in the theater. Did you see it when it was I originally did. in the theater? I you did. did. And That's I have a story. Impressive. I have a story about that. I don't know. I'll hold it until we get into the, That's, the rundown. That's impressive, though, because um, the to go into that is a, another fact. So the budget, the Coen brothers obviously um, are a big name now. And. This film was made for only about $15 million. Now, that's reported. Um, They're independent filmmakers. um, And this was, you could argue, one of their last real smaller budget films, though most of their movies are pretty small budget. But it only made $5.3 million its opening weekend. And actually, in the U.S. itself, it only made a total gross total of $17.5 million. Now, still, that's 1998, but that's not a lot. I mean, movies back then, big openings back then were in the 20 to 25 million, which sounds ridiculous now when films make a hundred million dollars opening weekend. Um, So it made forty six million dollars worldwide. It actually was the Coen Brothers seventh film, but it was the follow up to Fargo. Which for most people who are not familiar, might not know the Coen brothers just by name. Most people know Fargo, especially now with FX. I believe it's FX, right? That has the Fargo series, which is at least inspired in some sense by it. Fargo actually had won two Oscars and five Golden Globes. So they were coming off this film being well noted, even though actually Fargo was not intended to be made before The Big Lebowski. Wow. Okay. In fact, Big Lebowski was supposed to film first. Uh, it was supposed to come after the Hudsucker Proxy. If anybody had ever seen That's that, a great movie which, too. Which actually was a huge um, fail financially. It was the Coen's first attempt at like a major motion, big studio film, and they were going to do Big Lebowski, but John Goodman was shooting Roseanne, not the revival of Roseanne or whatever right. it is now. Couldn't get out. And I don't know what um, was happening um, with some of the other actors, but they were all booked. So they said, we'll do Fargo instead. Fargo's a huge hit. Here comes the Big Lebowski. And I think the Big Lebowski was actually hurt by that. It received no major award nominations. And actually, even though it's become a big cult classic, it received fairly lukewarm reviews initially. Now it's built up if it's it is certified fresh by Rotten Tomatoes and it does have an 82 percent um, positive rating. But it was not I think it was the assumption was off of Fargo. Here's, you know, going to be another film that racks up awards. And it just wasn't. I think maybe after if it came after a Hudsucker Proxy, maybe it's viewed a little bit differently. But I think people had a fixed set in their mind because really a lot right. of people, if you look at the Cohen's early work, uh, Miller's Crossing. Amazing movie. Amazing movie. But not something mainstream American right, necessarily right. saw. But Hudsucker a really, Proxy, re- uh, amazing movie. But people didn't see it. So they went and saw Fargo. And I think not knowing who the Coens were, the assumption was it would be something like that. And it was very different in Isn't, all aspects. Uh, Raising Arizona theirs, too? Yes, Raising Arizona was, and that, that was their second film, actually. And that got and, pretty good reviews at yeah, the time, Yeah, no, that was well-received. But again, that's more in the cult kind of stat. Yeah. You know, that wasn't a huge, necessarily, um, moneymaker from them. And those are just the facts. So with that, Jim, we will jump into the rundown. 
Yeah, so the rundown, let's talk about the movie. Um, I'll just start with my experience uh, seeing the movie for the first time because I think it's it's humorous to note that um, I saw it in the theater. Uh, at the time, I guess, uh, you know, 98, I was, uh, what, a freshman, sophomore in college? Uh, yeah, um, right? It would have been yeah. sophomore year. Or no, yeah. excuse me, it would have been freshman year, second half of freshman year. Yeah, so... Um, I remember seeing it at home. I'm not sure why I was at at, at home, um, but I went with my friend, and I just so happened to have a friend from high school named Donnie, and oh, we went to see this movie together, me and Donnie. And if you've seen The Big Lebowski, you can know, you know that one of the catchphrases of Walter throughout the entire film is "Shut the fuck up, Donnie." Yeah, and which applied. So, Pretty well to to, to my Donnie. friend Donnie. Yeah, to your so, friend Donnie. Yeah, so <laughs> you can imagine what the next three four months were for him. Um, yeah. It just became an ongoing joke. Uh, but I, I thought we were really fortunate to see it. I walked out of that movie saying like that was amazing. Like I laughed. I it, it was great. Um, and uh yeah so and i know it didn't do so well but uh we got a we got a chance to see it in the theater um right off the bat in rewatching this i noticed how much i really just love the first conversation between walter donnie and the dude so uh, basically the movie starts with um Sam Elliott giving, uh, uh, as the quote unquote, the stranger giving a voiceover talking about, uh, the time period. It's 1991. Um, we're just, uh, the U S is just about to enter into the Gulf war. Uh, the first Gulf war. Um, and (laughs) the dude is wandering around Ralph's looking for half and half to make his, um, (laughs) make his, uh, white Russians. And, yeah, and he pays for the the half and half with the check. Yeah. Can you even I, use a check for I don't 60, think he can. 69 cents? Is yeah, it? yeah, he pays 69 cents for uh, what looked like uh, a quart of half and half. And, <laughs> Which is all over his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, while he's there, and this is something that I noticed um, probably not until like you know, watching it a bunch of times. He watches George, uh, George Bush, uh, the first George Bush as president saying this aggression against Kuwait will not stand. Um, and from that point forward, basically the dude steals lines from every other person around him in the movie. Um, just parroting lines that other people said to him to other people, including that one later. Um, but what I really loved is, after, you know, he gets home after buying the half and half, and he's immediately, as soon as he comes into his apartment, he is immediately, like, jumped by two guys, um, two thugs, who are looking for money from um, Jeffrey Lebowski. And the half and half explodes you know it's it's really funny because they realize that no this guy's not a, not the millionaire that we're that we're looking for money from um and just so happens that one of those guys is uh i can forget the actor's name but he is he was jacob from lost yeah mark pellegrino <clears throat> mark pellegrino um and we find out they work for jackie treehorn and the, you know he comes up later in the movie um but then after that the the asian fellow uh Woo. Woo. Pees on the dude's rug. Um, yeah. And and do you know that that was real? 
the the rug was real, not not woo, not somebody named Woo peeing on it. The whole thing that started them putting this movie together was going over to their friend's house uh-huh. and they tell this story. If you actually, if you have the DVD, you can watch this. And I stole a lot of this stuff and I'll hold it up for the, the, the stream uh, from the big Lebowski, the making of a Coen brothers film, which is a great little book. If you're into filmmaking um, that was written by William um, Preston Robertson, really good and not long at all, but they were saying that their friend, uh, you know, it was a guy who went by the name of uncle Pete. It was somebody, I guess in the Hollywood scene, <laughs> They all called him Uncle Pete. They would go over and see him, and all he would do is talk about this rug, this old, disgusting Oriental rug. And he goes, it really ties the room together. It really ties. That was the first seed of this movie was that rug. And there's a lot of other things where Fargo was supposed to be based on a real event, kind of. Some of the crazy shit in this movie is because of this Uncle Pete guy. <laughs> it's like real stuff that he did in the rug, like this whole movie. You think about the rug and it's a funny line and everything, but the whole right. movie started out as the idea of the rug <clears throat> and this yeah. guy and Uncle Pete, who's actually not the dude, but he is uh, inspiration for Walter. Right, right. So that we'll get back sense. to him. So uh, basically the guy pees on his rug. They leave realizing that he's not the uh, the quote unquote big Lebowski. He is yes. a deadbeat yeah. um, and uh, they leave and then it cuts to the bowling alley. And this is really, I think, after that first scene, I was like, OK, this is interesting. Um, but I think, you know, in rewatching this, I remember this scene specifically where they're first at the bowling alley. You see Donnie bowling. He gets a strike. You see a bunch of other strange characters who I feel like the Coen brothers do a really good job of like even just extras having extras in their film that they either clearly thought out the backstory of that person and and that character is now in the film or they just pick such interesting people that they're kind of tricking us into thinking that these are really filled out characters. Well, Um, Donnie. And Walter were specifically written for Buscemi and right, John right. Goodman. I'm and talking about even just the extra characters bowling. Like, yeah. um, there's like a big, big fat black guy, and then there's like this little, oh, yeah. little guy all, in, a, in, a, in, all, in a wife beater. They, they storyboard everything. Yeah. So Liam, who we'll talk about later, who is Jesus' <laughs> right. bowling partner, who I I don't think the guy Liam has a line He they basically storyboarded a picture. Of a supposed to be a fat Irish guy. Yeah. And it's the artist drew what it is and they cast that. Yeah. And that's but so they do everything. But that scene is brilliant. Yeah. It's shot brilliantly, which is re- the way they shoot it is amazing. I, there's so many cool bowling sequences where they follow the ball and all that. And they basically just right. put the camera, Roger Deakins, who was their DP in this film, they basically figured out. They were trying a bunch of things and they said, well, let's just put a camera on a remote control car, basically. And they shot it down the lane with it. And they get such cool shots in that opening montage and a great Bob Dylan song, too. They do. They do. And um, it is also, uh, you know, and then Donnie comes back to the the area, the ball return, and he basically says, uh, you know, throwing rocks tonight. And then they just start in and. It, from that point, their conversation is so um, 
choreographed and perfect without seeming yeah. that it's it's yeah. amazing um talking about you know the you know the dude's rug really tied the room together uh -huh. did you um you know were you listening to the dude's story the the whole thing um you know of of showing basically doing character development for these three characters um through this conversation without like crazy exposition it, it's and, just great and not even a ton of dialogue when you really look at it they they are masterful at getting a lot across in dialogue in very few words. Right, right. In terms of how they shoot it. And not a single, there was, I think there's only, I got to look, there's only one line in the entire movie that was ad-libbed. Really? Every other thing in the entire film is verbatim what they wrote in their script. They rehearsed three <laughs> weeks. And I guess Jeff Bridges, when he got hired, he was reading this. First of all, Jeff Bridges said it was the funniest script he ever read in Hollywood. <laughs> and you got to remember, Lloyd Bridges, who was a great comedic, a great actor, Jeff's probably, I don't know, he's in his 60s probably. So he's a right, right. guy who's been in Hollywood, 67, said it was the funniest script he ever read. Oh, my God. But he he called John Goodman and said, OK, well, when are the rewrites coming? You know, when do we, you know, he goes, you, what's on the page is what you read. And it, <laughs> it, and it does. And it's true. And it, it, the dialogue is so and nobody. You're right. The delivery of it is so choreographed so perfectly. There's assumption of how could they possibly have just written this on a page? And I it's, think that's too much. It's brilliant. I, th I think that's for the actors. That was really um, what made the movie, you know, the ideas of this movie and. Um, you know, the themes and everything are great and they're amazing, but the way it's presented is, uh, so off the wall and hilarious and so rich because of these characters and the, those three actors specifically, um, the way they interact with each other is really what made it work. And Buscemi doesn't talk a lot, which was purposeful. Right. So they said when they wrote Fargo, if you know Fargo, if you've ever seen, he never shuts up in Fargo. Right. And they're basically like effing with them. They said, we're going to make a movie and see how little we can make Buscemi say. Right. And, and Fargo, it, he was basically like his character from Reservoir Dogs. Like, yeah. yeah. A, and a little bit Armageddon, as, you know, right, like the, right. that role that people know Steve Buscemi to play. Right, and he's right. very reserved in this movie. Very reserved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's great. Um, so after the bowling, you know, they go. Um, what happens after that? Oh, they, they, they go and meet the <laughs> yeah. real big Lebowski. And where you meet Brant for the first time, who is played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, he is basically the big Lebowski's um, right hand man, <laughs> um, chief of staff, I guess, if you will, or whatever he is. Assistant. And he's tremendous. He's great. And he's, I didn't he's know. Probably, he's probably in maybe five minutes of film. Yeah. And every time you see him, he's, he's a great example of what you were talking about. He's just like, you know, this guy, you know, this was the guy who would wear blazers to party in college. He would wear a tie to class. He was yes. the head of some, you know, alt-right political, uh, student <laughs> action committee. Yeah, you know, we, yeah, he's, right. he's, he wears pleated pants probably. Um, and you all, you know, all that. And he barely says anything in the movie. Right. Um, but one of my favorite scenes and it, uh, it, it's a good time to show, I guess my, um, my shirt that Brian got me, my little Lebowski's yeah. urban achiever shirt, Brian. Yes. Perfect um, shirt. Perfect shirt. 
uh, for this moment because with, while he's waiting to meet the Big Lebowski, Brant is showing um, the dude this wall of awards and commemorative moments, and he comes to this picture of um, the Jeffrey Lebowski, the Big yeah. Lebowski, uh, surrounded by a bunch of inner, inner city kids of all ethnicities, yeah. colors, um, and he says oh what's this and from brand says oh that's mr lebowski's children and he goes oh different mothers so he's cool racially huh yeah <laughs> and and it's clearly like a, a charity thing like yeah, I, yeah. well i'm clear to everybody but the dude, the dude. yeah and it's not it, it is it is and this is something that like if he didn't play that like perfectly you would think that he was just screwing with brant where in actuality yeah. he is just not paying attention to his entire life no no clue at all <laughs> right and no clue i also love how when they sit down um it's it looks like the Oval Office. Like yes. this guy has designed yes. an office to the Big Lebowski, who is um, was injured in the war. I'm, I'm what war? Korea. Korea. We yeah. To, well, we're the, to the, assume, the, right? He says so. He so the other Lebowski, the Big <laughs> Lebowski, uh, is a, apparently a, this extremely rich former military guy. Lost the use of his legs. You know, has no use for Jeff Bridges at all. You know, he's calling him a bum. One of the great all time lines. You come here asking for a rug. Is that how you go looking <laughs> right. for work on a Tuesday? And he goes, is it a Tuesday? And yeah, the yeah. dude has no idea what day it is. Right. Um, all of this was actually in some way stolen from Raymond Chandler. Uh, you know, Raymond oh, Chandler's really? big sleep. Um, oh. And I didn't know this forever. I, I mean, certainly. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. So the whole movie is based on the premise of Raymond Chandler's Big Sleep, loosely, uh, if you've ever read it, which I never had in college and read it until recently. But there's a general who hires Lebowski to deal with a pornographer who's blackmailing uh, one of his two daughters. He has two daughters. So if you look <laughs> at the whole setup of the film, instead of having daughters, Lebowski has Bunny, but he has right. a daughter in Maud. So there's two girls. There's a general that hired him, very loosely abased. Now, it's more in vain of um, actually a movie adaption of um, – Raymond Chandler's work. If you go and look, it's actually probably much more closer to the uh, the long goodbye, which Robert Altman did, who was a big influence. If you know Robert Altman on these big kind of character pieces, he did MASH and all these other type okay. of one short cuts. And Elliot Gould had starred as the P.I. And he was kind of it wasn't noir ish. It was more kind of goofy. And the Coens thought, well, we can bring this in. And that's what they do. They set up this idea that, oh, all right, here's this guy, Lebowski, both Lebowskis. The dude wants his rug. He says, you're a bum. Get out of my place. You're not getting a rug. Leave. Dude takes a rug anyway. He tells Brandt, told me you could have any rug I want. Right. And, right. and he walks out. And he sees Tara Reed. Can you fathom no. that Tara Reed was in this film? That is shocking to me. Where she is, she's her her only films now are Sharknado, but she gets to be in this amazing, amazing film. It's just like, crazy. She's been in in a few films that are 
uh interesting right she was uh van wilder right she was she was in van wilder which is another great movie <laughs> yeah but somehow she's in this but then we see uli this drunk guy with a bottle of jack daniels in the pool who she goes oh he's a nihilist and i love the line the dude says uh, that must be exhausting <laughs> right he's it's sleeping it's in the pool with an empty and bottle and of jack and he's a him. nihilist who yeah. believes in <laughs> nothing um but it's just un it's unbelievable and then we cut back again to the bowling alley right and those scenes are the i think that really the bowling alley scenes to me are the best uh in terms of pacing lighting uh it's really funny because the bowling so they're writing and they're basing this whole movie on uncle pete and uncle pete who was a vietnam vet who would always talk about vietnam and always <laughs> be throwing that like what but Uncle Pete would always tell them stories about playing softball uh, in a league in Hollywood against and getting into near fist fights with Tony Danza <laughs> playing in this league in this softball league. And they said, well, we can't do softball. And they said bowling is manly, but it also fit that aesthetic that they wanted, that kind of what was called Brunswick style. Right. Um, you know, the bowling alley, the bowling shirts, everything. It allowed Roger Deakins, who's the cinematographer, who's a guy who loves to light stuff with natural light to kind of use it. It has this really great. They shot it in a way with uh, high speed film. So all the bowling actually a whole movie has kind of a grainy yep. look to it, which is, you know, fantastic. And, you know, it just also allows those great setups of dialogue. Yeah, because it's interesting bowling, you say you that. Have, you can have conversations when you're bowling. You're playing softball. You're not able to have a dialogue right. like that. Right. And I don't see the dude playing golf or Walter playing golf. <laughs> right, so right. I think that is probably well, not to, an option. To talk about the cinematography and like the feel of the movie, um, it's almost as if like it's the early 90s. It's set in, the, in 91. Um, but it feels like there's like a seventies ish vibe to it, yeah. which makes sense because I think all of these characters probably had their, <laughs> their heyday in the seventies. It was all yeah. downhill yeah. after the seventies. Right. Well, the costume designing too, right. I think most of the clothes that people were wearing were seventies clothes. I right. mean, they were, they aged it, all that type of stuff. And the other characters, Smokey. So you go from <laughs> the, you go from you know, the Big Lebowski's office so back in the bowling alley. Walter comes in, you know, late running with the Pomeranian dog. He's babysitting his wife's dog as uh, she has divorced him and is now with Marty Ackerman in Hawaii. Right. And on an aside here, I am not convinced that Walter did not actually kill his wife and Marty Ackerman. And it just has the dog. And is that like a very dark turn <laughs> that we would find out? I mean, Walter is clearly an unhinged person right. in this scene. He pulls a gun on Smokey, who's this hippie with long hair, who's a conscientious objector and, and is like talks. He has emotional problems, emotional problems, starts to slip and he pulls a gun. Right. And he's, he's fragile, like, he pulls a gun over the line, you know, freaks out and, you know, again, establishing that a he's a nut job and, you know, this is insane. And one thing that makes complete sense, but no sense is how these people have any kind of friendship. Right. Like right. The, the dude and Walter and, and Donnie, I, no one seems to like Donnie. You have to almost feel bad for Donnie because yeah. <laughs> first of all, Jeff Bridges and the dude, I think speaks two lines to him the entire movie. Right. One of which your phone's ringing, dude. 
which happens later and goes, thanks, Donnie. And like maybe one. So he doesn't even talk to him. Right. And Walter doesn't actually talk to him either. All he does is he curses and screams at him. But the best part maybe of this coming out of this scene. So Walter has now pulled a gun, has a little Pomeranian dog in a carrier. They apparently finish their game of bowling, go outside, and the cops are just arriving. And they're running in while they're getting in in the car. While they're getting in the car to leave. I mean, they must have probably bowled for at least another hour. Right. And the police did not show up. Um, But that sets up the idea of he goes back and, you know, he's lying on his rug and we get some more stuff. But we get this idea of him being called by Brant. Right. And getting called back to the Lebowski mansion um, for some really interesting news, which, by the way, finally sets some some kind of plot, I guess, because at this point, the only plot is that the dude's rug has been pissed on. Yes. There's nothing else moving this film forward at right. this point. He's been mistaken and, still, and the rug's great, gone. There's nothing else moving it forward. Right. We know he stole the rug, and, and but then after that, there was it was kind of like everything was buttoned up. Yeah. Um, so you uh, he basically is called into the big Lebowski's house, right? So he goes, um, you know, the big Lebowski is in seclusion. He's basically sitting in front of a fireplace, uh, staring at the fire in a dark room. And he tells the dude that bunny has been kidnapped. Yeah. Um, and he gives the dude, uh, while, while the dude is smoking pot in the room with him, he gives the dude the ransom letter, which basically says a million dollars in non-consecutive bills, 20s, you know, and uh, yeah. no funny stuff. Yeah. And the dude, by the way, is wearing a fantastic T-shirt. <clears throat> which Katie actually gave me a, a copy of that at some point. I, I yeah. lost it The Sadahara O shirt. Right. Which, by the way, was actually... Jeff Bridges shirt. Right, right. He wore it to a wardrobe test and then they had the model. So he had a bunch of them because that's a long scene for dialogue. Right, right. So they had to make a bunch. They had to make a bunch of them. Yeah. So um, at that point, um, they basically tell the dude that they would like him to confirm whether uh, the 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 folks who are picking up the money for the ransom are the yeah. same folks who stole or who pissed on his rug, which is where we get the wonderful line. You think the carpet pissers did this? Yes. <laughs> or his diatribe of what makes a man a man. And he goes to this big and he goes that in a that in a pair of testicles. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So but the, the fact is and spoil alert for all of this. We immediately should have known this is ridiculous. This guy does not care about his wife because the whole purpose of this meeting and by the way, great opera music playing in it, which right. I in my mind, I always thought was just like, you know, how sometimes movies play music, but it's not. They're like, no, he's supposed to have been listening to that. Right. Right. As that's going on. And I'm like, they want him to deliver the ransom. Right. And we should have immediately realized who in God's name would ever have this guy deliver the ransom to anybody. But they right. give him a brick cell phone and a you know metal briefcase and he's off now what would most people do if they were supposed to have a million dollars in a case probably go home safety pot he goes bowling and it sets up what is easily in my opinion at least my favorite scene of the entire movie which is we go into a spanish version of Hotel California 
And they really work on this scene of we see a ball going and they play with speeds and the ball is going yeah. so and then it's and and we're introduced to Jesus, John Totoro's character, who is again in the film five minutes, but is unbelievable. A full body purple jumpsuit yeah. uh, with matching bowling shoes is wearing a hairnet. And has a long fingernail just on his, which I'm assuming is that supposed to be for cocaine? Isn't yeah, that like a, yeah. was a big thing back then? Um, and this scene is all sorts of brilliant, not just the way it's filmed, lit, costume design, but I think it's the best Donnie Walter do dialogue sequence in which they're watching him. And this is something that they really change because the Coens usually do all wide angle lenses um, and wide angle lenses is basically you distort a little bit, not so much you see it, but you really right. see the background. So if you're watching Jim and I, we're very much in the foreground of this and the background is not as visible. They want to shoot wide angle, which a lot of directors do, but they spend so much time setting up shot composition that they know everything that's in their shot. Right. And so you feel like you're immersed in that environment. But this is one of the few times they use a longer lens and a zoom lens. So you get this great shot as they're watching this guy bowl and it kind of pans across and you get like the tight shot of just the dude's face in focus. It's one of the only right, times right. they do it in the whole movie to emphasize like they they are taking this serious of all the crazy shit that happens. in the this is what they're taking serious, right? That this guy can bowl and he could do this. And then we notice and we are told by Walter that he is a pedophile. Right. Which <laughs> the, the, the best part about that is when they ask, well, there's not much. You, know, you get a great insert shot of him having to go door to door and stuff. But it doesn't necessarily make sense because they never recall back to it. So right. I've always thought, why? It's such a weird choice. But they had seen John Turturro <laughs> in a play in the park where he played, I guess, not maybe not a pedophile, but a creepy guy who had a child on his lap. Uh, and for years after that, they're like, we've got to have a scene where we make him a pedophile. And that's why he was made a pedophile. But it get the best dialogue is they say, you know, they start talking about, um, you know, the idea of nihilists and right. Len Lennon and, and Donnie keeps saying, I am the Wallers. Well, yeah, I, he comes back because he thinks it's so, he, but he, he thinks it's he thinks they're talking about the Beatles. Well, it here is the first scene in the movie where he comes back to the yeah. ball return area, not having been part of the conversation. And he just says, it's like Lennon. He all he hears is it's like Lennon said. Yeah. And then Donnie just kind of starts throwing in. I am the walrus. Like I am like, the, wa I am the yeah. walrus. I am the walrus. <laughs> and, but it's I just the dialogue's great. And then Jesus comes over and Liam. And if you watch that scene, um, it's great because the guy who plays Liam, I, I've always I, I'm barely holding it together. Right. Like, and I can't tell if that's the character barely holding it together or it was so funny on set that that yeah. was the best take yeah. they could get from that guy. Yeah. So, so is that. And then they, so they leave, they go out of there. Dude goes back. He's lying on his rug. There's a picture of Nixon bowling. He's listening to whale mating on his like Walkman. We saw, we see Maud, who Maud Lebowski, who's the big Lebowski's daughter, she knocks him out. Well, it's, it's her, one of her henchmen. Yeah. Knocks, <laughs> knocks him out. And yeah. we go into the first dream sequence. Um, right. 
which I think if we're going to I think of the two dream sequences, the second one's probably the one that's more worth talking about. But they, right. it's kind of cool. The dream sequences. And, you know, this is a drug addled mind <laughs> being knocked out. So it's, we're kind of like this is what this acid induced world of the dude must be like when he's this, not. Conscious. Isn't this where the Bob Dylan song comes in? And then later on, you they, get they use Mike it twice. And... They mirror it. Okay. They use it twice. And the second dream is Kenny Rod. Kenny condition. Yeah, the condition one. So yeah. we so we go in, he's knocked out, he's he's woken up um during this time and this is when we start to get this process of um he gets called and he now has to <laughs> right deliver the money um which is which is first of all again ridiculous. Um Walter is still bowling. First of all, what bowling alley is this? The man has pulled a firearm yeah. on somebody and he is still, is, but that's it, beyond the point. So he's called, uh, he calls Walter cause we, I, which I always found interesting is if Walter wants to come to the drop cause Walter's a sociopath. Right, I mean, we can be very right. good. Walter is a sociopath. So Walter's genius plan is that they're going to be able to keep all of this money. Right. If, if they get Bunny Lebowski back. Right. So Walter has brought a ringer, which is like, I guess, an old bowling ball bag of which he has put his white underwear in his dirty white underwear because and the ringer can't appear to be empty can appear to be empty. They are going to throw the ringer out of the car. And Walter says he is going to jump out of the car and beat the location out of the people. Now, shockingly this goes horrendously wrong i mean there's some great dialogue first of all every single scene john goodman in is in is brilliant right, right. i mean bridges as well and they do these the the coens are big on this they don't shoot a lot of coverage which means you know if you watch an action movie there could be 20 cameras rolling right because they right. want all the stuff they shoot one camera and it's a lot of oneers, which is just like kind of our images if you watch the stream right. just on earth and they're delivering dialogue and it's unbelievable and even the two shots they have are all both people in the shot at the same time and, and they just they play off a of, So they're driving in the car. So he and, and by the way, they're listening to Credence, which is a little, you know, um, I will put, come in later. So run through say, the jungle, oh, yeah, I think. Yeah. Throw the throw the bag over. And Walter says that's not going to work, you know, and Walter proceeds to throw the bag over, jump out of the car right before that. He, he has an Uzi. Now, I guess maybe in the early 90s, having an Uzi was easy to have. I don't know. <laughs> Shoots out the dude's tire. The car, which becomes a character in itself. Right. I was going to talk about that. Yeah. Which is hysterical. And, you know, they kind of start walking back. um, And it's just kind of like, oh, well, let's go bowling. That's that. That's where Walter literally says, oh, fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. Like Pat did with the white Russian. He said, let's just go. I'm just going to leave it all over this floor. He is convinced that uh, Bunny kidnapped herself yeah so he doesn't care whereas the dude is really nervous now at this point um and the car i wanted to you you mentioned it that it becomes a character um the car just throughout the entire movie gets the shit beat out of it and it was not in good shape to begin with first of all i am shocked how uh, there's certain things that i don't know how did the man have an apartment no i don't know which they allude to how does he have a car how can he afford to bowl 
These are questions that are never right. answered in this film, well, and nor do we need to really care about it. Right, right. But right. they they decide to go bowling again, and we just we don't want to go crazy here and make people go insane <laughs> with it. So we'll keep going here. He, he goes back. He goes bowling. The car is then stolen with the money okay. in it. With again, why you're leaving a briefcase you believe have millions of dollars in it while you're parked in a handicap spot and. <laughs> Clearly a, a, a neighborhood where you can pull a firearm <laughs> and it takes an hour for police to show up. Right. Who right. Knows? Um, great scene with the police to watch just the blocking and set of that shot. He's telling them, no, oh, my car was stolen. My business papers were there. What been? Oh, I'm unemployed. But just this throwaway line of a guy who's in this movie for 30 seconds. Uh, the police officer, the answering machine. It's Maud. Lebe- this is Maud Lebowski. I have your rug because he had said my rug was stolen, too. He's like, guess that one was solved. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, like a yeah. perfect giving. And then we're introduced to Maud Lebowski, who we only saw in a brief shot. And she is wild. This is a Coen Brothers thing. She is some avant garde artist who is naked, swinging from the ceiling, <laughs> right. throwing paint and talking about vaginas all the time, right. um, which is just <laughs> I mean, amazing. And and then what you talked about earlier, the dude starts echoing. He starts using the terminology that she does. Um, you and mean then, coitus? Yeah, coitus. <laughs> yeah. But then pieces start to fall in, which is where Chandler was. These weird little things. She puts on a video and shape. Well, here's Bunny Lebowski. And you find out that she is in a porno entitled Log oh, Jamming. This which is... I got you a Log Jamming t-shirt. You did. Years ago. And I don't think you ever wore it. Because I think you were so no. embarrassed. But you right. would not wear it. But this brings, um, if I had to pick a single favorite line in the movie, I think this is mine. It makes me laugh every time. And so Bunny is showing, um, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Maud is showing uh, the dude the beginning of this porno. And it's basically Bunny Lebowski answering the door. And the nihilist is at the door as the cable repairman. Yes, it's not Uli, it's Carl Hungus. Carl or, Hungus. And, and Uli. I think Uli. he goes by like... Uli right playing the role oh, of Carl Hungus. Or, yeah, or Carl Hungus is his poor name. Is there a better poor name than Carl no. Hungus? And so what, what he... He, she says, "Oh, you must be here to fix the cable. It's been out or something." Like that he goes, yeah. "Well, I am here. I'm a professional. That's why yeah. I'm here." And uh, she, and at that point, Maud turns off the TV. Turn or no? Then As a another roommate, girl, naked a, girl walks a in. A naked roommate comes into the room, and it's like, "Oh, that's my roommate." And then she turns it off, and she's like, "You can imagine where it goes from here." And just as like a throwaway line, he says, "He fixes the cable," yes, <laughs> which amazing. is just like. Yeah, perfect. And, dude. and uh, so from there, so we get this idea that she knows these people. You know, there's something fishy going on. Right. So she offers him money. So now she's offering, I think the big Lebowski offered him 10 grand, right? Or 20 grand. I can never remember. She offers him 10%. So if she gets, if he can get the money back to her, because right. she says this guy has no money. He's a fraud. I, you know, this money was supposed to be for the little Lebowski urban achievers. You know, we don't think she's was kidnapped. Right. Is what she says. So he goes, you know, you get me the money back. We'll give you a hundred grand. Right. So again, this guy, somehow this guy's flowing into money. Um, he goes back 
And then we get this idea of the Big Lebowski and Brandt are sitting in a limo outside his house and they show that they received a toe in the mail and they do this right. great counterbalance. And it's earlier in the film, she had been putting nail polish on and it was the same type. So now we thought it was supposed to be, oh, maybe she kidnapped herself and we sued the porno. But now there's a toe. Where are we supposed to be? And we and we don't really know. Um and I thought it was just it was they kept us balancing. And it's almost you watch the film, not so much for the plot anyway. It's the characters and stuff like that. But they're slowly moving that along. Right. And it, it, it's at this point, I think um, we will probably have to jump ahead a little bit. But yeah. um, where they find Larry Sellers homework in the dude's car, yeah. he gets his car back. Yeah, he gets his car back. The car was stolen. And this is a true story, by the way. So Uncle Pete's car was stolen. They found the car and they found a crumpled up piece of homework with the name of the kid that stole the car, which is what happens with the dude. Um, He then proceeds to go with Walter to find Larry Sellers. Right. They bring Walter dresses in this like cheap, horrific suit. Right. Um. Donnie goes along because he wants to go to the In-N-Out Burger um, on Van Nuys, which I we actually the only time I've ever been to California. We had a my wife, Alien, had friends who lived near Van Nuys and I went and I couldn't find the In-N-Out Burger. It's one of the only things I wanted to do. I did go to an In-N-Out Burger and it was fa- fantastic. I will say it was fantastic. The burgers were I amazing. think it's overrated. Yeah, I enjoyed it. But. They, so they, so this is real. They go to this kid's house and it's this 14 year old kid. This really happened. And they bring the homework in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, that really happened. Uncle Pete brought <laughs> the homework to this kid's house in a Ziploc bag. So we're to believe this high school kid was joyriding, stole the car. They pull up in front of the house where this kid's supposed to live is a Corvette, a right. bright red, like very 90s Corvette. And they're like, oh, damn, the kid blew all the money, whatever. So they walk up to the door, knock on it. And I don't know why I find this funny, but John Goodman, the door opens and there's a woman there. And John Goodman says, Pilar? Yeah, I, and I don't know. That's just the woman's name, but it is uh, hysterical. Okay. It just, I, I just, I die laugh every time I see it. They walk in. This kid's dad wrote that we're not. We don't have to get into the kid's dad, but he's in an iron lung. Right. So random. So random. The kid doesn't care. The kid looks like this disaffected, you know, Nirvana listening to uh, 90s youth. Yeah. Walter freaks out, takes a I can't remember if it's a tire iron or a it bat. Is. It's a tire, tire iron. Starts beating the hell out of the Corvette. And we find out that the kid hadn't bought anything. It was the neighbor's Corvette. Right. Cue the dude's car getting beat up yeah, again. So then the neighbor comes out and he says, you, you, you killed my car. I'm going to kill your car. And he starts smashing the dude's car. The dude's trying to say, hey, man, that's not his car. But then when that scene ends, it cuts to them driving in the car with no windshield, just eating in an out burger. Eating out burger, <laughs> which is, you know, fantastic. Yeah, so hilarious. we just keep going along now. So they still don't have the money. Next thing we know, moving the plot along, the dude yet again is kidnapped. Woo, the carpet pisser returns. Right. They knock him out again. And he's brought to Jackie Treehorn's house. Right. Ben Gazera of the amazing 80s 
movie Roadhouse yes. uh, with Patrick Swayze is this porn villain, uh, you know, set up character, crazy scene that the furniture, everything about that scene was going back to your 70s idea. It was just yeah. amazing. It's weird. But he is another guy. Now, Bunny Lebowski owes him money. So now he wants the money and he says to dude, I will give you 10. So now the dude's going to get money from somebody. He says, oh, Larry Sellers has it. You know, yeah. this whole thing is like fucking social studies. So, but this is the only scene that I feel like the dude acts like a private detective because Jackie Treehorn is, by the way, I'm, I am mildly convinced the movie big boogie nights was inspired by this scene because Jackie Treehorn is complaining about how, um, VHS has ruined the porn industry (laughs) from regular film, which is really one of the whole subtext of boogie night which we talked about. Unfortunately, Burt Reynolds has died today, which made me think of it. But the whole premise of it, I'm not convinced that wasn't the whole reason Boogie Nights was made as an aside. So Jackie Treehorn takes a phone call and he's writing something. So the dude thinks maybe in a moment of clarity, which rarely happens, I'm going to run up and scratch off or, you know, like run a pencil over the pad and it's going to and it's a picture of a guy with an enormous penis. Right. That's it. Like Jackie and Treehorn was yeah, not and, taking notes. Yeah. He was just doodling. Yeah. And, uh, and, an and I do picture. love the line. And uh, Jackie Treehorn is also uh, a, a, uh, a savant for the future of porn is talking about like, uh, it's going to be robotic and all this type. And Jeff Bridges says, <laughs> Oh, I still jerk off manually. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, but yeah. they drug him. So Jackie Treehorn drugs him. And I'm convinced really the only reason he's drugged is that we can get the second dream sequence. Right. Which you could analyze to belief, but I think it's just cool. Watch it visually. It doesn't really move. It's nothing we need to know from the plot perspective. There's just some really cool stuff, I think, in it. Right. He's scared of the nihilist. Oh, we forgot about that scene. The nihilists show up at his oh, house yeah. and threaten and throw to cut. A in his, yeah, they throw uh, the toy. weasel in the in the tub with him. Um, yeah. And so he's scared that they're going to cut off his junk. Yeah. So he's scared, but it's great scene to terms of seeing it and all that type of stuff. Um, he comes out of this hallucin, uh, you know, he's hallucinating or whatever, knocked out. He's in the police chief of Malibu's office, which <laughs> right. is kind of funny. He, he gets knocked out with a coffee cup in the head. They put him in a cab. Um, the cab kicks him. They kick him out of the cab because he says he hates the Eagles. Yeah, he needs um, to turn, turn you know, the I, station. Turn, turn the, the driver kicks him out. He gets back home. Um and Maude Lebowski's there. Right. His house is trashed. Yeah, his house is trashed. And I don't know what they're... I, again, I don't know what a man like that has to be trashed, but his, his bungalow is trashed. Um, and... He has sex with Maude Lebowski. Yeah, Julianne Moore is is a great Maude Lebowski. The conversation they have after after they have sex is is amazing because they're basically laying in bed smoking pot, and he is telling like she's asking about his life. He reveals yeah. that he was once a roadie for Metallica. Um, that he was one of the authors of the Poor Huron Statement. The, yeah, the first draft, <laughs> not the watered down. Which, which, by the way, his character is based on uh, a guy who went by the name of Jeff Dowd, who calls himself the dope or the Pope of Dope, who actually <laughs> did, who actually did write. The poor here, the poor year on statement. It was part of the Seattle seven. So right. that's where his some elements, some of the elements of the dude were taken from Uncle Pete. Right. As well. Uh, uh, but what I love about this is this scene, in my opinion, if you remember in college, I pitched a big Lebowski sequel that this set up perfectly. 
That is three men in a little Lebowski. Maud Lebowski is kidnapped and Brant, the dude and Walter have to raise the little Lebowski. <laughs> right. Which I don't know why it wasn't made. It would have been brilliant. Oh, my God. But Philip Seymour Hoffman, unfortunately, is dead. Um, so that will obviously never happen, nor do I think a sequel should happen. But that could have been the hook <laughs> back into the Lebowski world. Three men in a little Lebowski. Right, right. Perfectly set up. Spoiler alert. She gets pregnant. We find that at the end. Sam Elliott says right. he's pregnant. So he goes outside after this because he's in his mind. You know, he knows the, the nihilists want the money. She's in with them. Jackie Trino, all this stuff. I, you know, it all clicks into his head. Right. You know, this guy is a fraud. He stole the money. Actually, I think I was slightly wrong. This is when she tells him, no, I control all the money right. type stuff. Right. And he, and he realizes this is all BS. Yeah. You know, I never had any real money. I'm being set up. And he goes out and I, I only bring this up because I've been watching this movie for 20 years. But when I went and saw it in the theater, for whatever reason, I always missed this line. And I just think it's and it's an example of why you can watch this movie again and again and again. He's outside talking to the other private detective who's been kind of following, uh, which isn't yeah. really a big Defino. thing. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I'm looking for, you know, this girl. And he says what Bunny Lebowski's real name is. She ran off from the farm and stuff like that. And just very nonchalantly. And I think it's you're laughing so hard. Like the last time, one of my favorite scenes, the last time is when he gets his car back. The private detective is following. He doesn't know he's listening. He's rocking out the credence, smoking a joint and drinking while he's driving. Right. All three things. Drops the joint in his lap, sets himself on fire, pours the beer onto his lap, crashes the car. Love that scene. Right. But I digress. We go back and he has a line. He goes, oh, we got to get her back to Minnesota. And he in deadpan very softly says, how are you going to keep the girl down on the farm when they've met Carl Hungus? It's just I just die. It's like I I don't know how I missed that line, but it's like 20 years later, you can you can get that. And right. really from that, there's he goes back. Bunny Lebowski has returned. Um, you know, you think it's kind of over. We get another bowling scene and then you get a real bummer, which yeah. is the bowling scene happens. They you, come out. Gonna go, they win. They're going to go to the semis. They're going to face Katana and O'Brien and the Nihilists are there. And they're like, you know, we want our money. And they said there was never any money. A fight breaks out and Donnie dies. Donnie has a heart attack and dies. For what purpose? I don't really know. Which is is foreshadowed by the first time in the movie when they go to that bowling scene. He does not uh, roll a strike. I didn't even think about that. <clears throat> yeah, so it's it's right. the first time he, they show Donnie bowling that he does not roll a strike. Each of the bowling scenes, oh, I think, so starts cool. with Donnie bowling, and each one he gets a strike. So the first one, he's like, hey, I'm rolling rocks tonight. And the other one, he's like... Yeah, yeah you're absolutely... I never even... Yeah. That's so awesome. I never even caught that. Yep. But he dies. He dies. Now, I, 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 which is a kind of a bummer, but it does set up a great sequence where they don't want to pay for an urn for Donnie and they proceed to yeah. get it go back to Ralph's this movie is full of these call these amazing callbacks right is they go to Ralph's Ralph, they buy a coffee tin they go up to this apparently Donnie was a surfer they go up to this cliff they're dumping the ashes out and Walter's talking about Hill 36 talking about Vietnam again yes. for no reason he dumps the ashes and it blows all over the dude and he's just <laughs> 
cover, which is a great, you know, great final laugh. Almost. It's a bummer that Donnie's dead, but it's fantastic. And we kind of end on this note of them going back in their bowling and Sam Elliott returns and we find out everything's going to be okay. And the dude's going to have a baby. And that, the recap might have been as long as the actual film. Yeah, we, we took our time with that one, but it's but one it, of our favorites. But this is probably our favorite movies. And we had a technical glitch. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and we, we'll, 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 we'll cut a little bit of that out. Um, so before we move on from that, I just want to ask you, Brian, what do you think the whole purpose of the Sam Elliott character and starting the movie and sort of ending the movie they liked his voice. Is that it? Like, yeah, what, they, they what, loved what, what, They they loved his voice. It's really interesting because there has been this whole thing where, so the book I was talking about, right? The guy who wrote it, he writes an afterward where he was invited to a collegiate style with professors, um, like summit where they were talking about all these deep meanings. Like, you know, they're using LA and it's a, story about the collapse of manifest destiny and stuff that's why they use the tumbleweed and all that and they just kind of said the cones kind of said kind of like the tumbleweed and we kind of wanted this narrative as a callback to raymond chandler everything that raymond chandler writes is in first person okay so they wanted something of a narration and they're like, we don't want it to be Jeff Bridges, the dude narrating it. Right. So it gave it and they just loved Sam Elliott's voice. Um, and I think it's also the idea of a way to establish L.A. as a character. And, you know, this movie and I haven't been to L.A. much, but it is very L.A. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. You know, it's, it is. It, you would not have this movie in New York or Chicago or Philadelphia or, or Boston or anything like that. And it allowed them to do that but they loved sam elliott's voice i guess i've always found that to be the weirdest part of the film i mean it's kind of cool it just kind of adds to that kind of eclectic vibe when when you do something like that in the film it makes you think that they're trying to impart some which i think they are i think it's a great example of you can really take what you want out of it you know, I mean, you can have an interpretation of that. I think it's open ended that you could say that there was something there if you were looking for something in the film, if you yeah. wanted to. Um, I, honestly, I think it's part of the reason that the reception at times to the movie was maybe a little off because there's things right. within it that aren't comfortable. <laughs> yes. Do you know what I mean? That aren't yeah. comfortable to understand, that aren't comfortable to get. It's not really laid out there for you in a conventional way. Um, to me, it's just kind of an interesting narrative. Yeah. And that's the Coen brothers, you know, like they do that in a lot of movies. Um, yeah, they're they're super cool with that. So I, I thought that was great. Uh, so quickly, we'll shoot through our uh, thumbs up, thumbs down things we liked about the movie and things uh, we maybe didn't. Do you have anything? A couple of things that maybe just jumped out at you real quickly here. No, that that first scene with them in the bowling alley is still by far my favorite. I love it. Um, the way they're talking, it sets the tone for the whole movie. It it gives you an idea of what to expect, and it says that you need to pay attention to this film because the the way the dialogue moves, it's almost Aaron Sorkin esque. Where mm-hmm. you know he writes in a way that these these Aaron Sorkin writes in a way that the characters are smarter than anybody you've ever met, right? Yeah, and the way they talk, it makes it seem like they are that way. Um, this is clearly these characters are not smarter than anybody, No, but they speak like they are wittier 
and and just are so comfortable with each other they know like all the beats absolutely uh, love that any thumbs down anything you would like to see them do differently maybe <sighs> I, it's hard to say that yeah no i don't think so uh all right thumbs up for me john goodman oh yeah i, I really think he should have won an oscar wasn't even nominated no for support now to be fair, 98 was a crazy year for films. Uh, if you go back and look at it, that was Titanic. Yep. Which I didn't love, but whatever. It was Titanic, Goodwill Hunting. Robin Williams won the Oscar that year. Um, actually, I think it might have been Boogie Nights, too. So obviously, the Lebowski couldn't have been an inspiration for Boogie right, Nights. Right. But, uh, but that, so, but still, that's crazy. Love the production design. Yeah, it's love amazing. The, the costuming wardrobe. I love I mean, I have pages I could talk about the cinematography and the terms, the way that Roger Deakins, who is unbelievable, shot it. He actually was the guy who shot uh, Blade Runner 2049 and won the Oscar. It's amazing. But, he, but he's done unbelievable stuff. A lot of the Coen Brothers stuff. Um, and I thought the soundtrack was awesome. Oh, yeah. The way they use. Yeah, the way they use music in it is, is over the hill. Great. Bad things I would slightly change. Two things. One, not one time do we see the dude bowl. <laughs> you never see the dude bowl, which is why I ran the poll. Who do you want bowling with you? Right. Uh, Walter, the dude. And everybody said, Walter. that makes sense. You never see Jeff Bridges roll a bowling ball in this film. If you think, I think it. you might only see Walter do it once. Maybe, but you never see Jeff, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, second thing. I don't know why he disliked the Eagles so much. Oh, and I love fact, that. I love that. And in fact, that. Glenn Fry confronted, I can't remember if it's the Coens or Jeff Bridges about it. I know exactly why he disliked the Eagles. It's because, you know, with the dude, he's a, he's a hippie activist, like, um, you know, hates the man. Yeah. The, the Eagles are so safe and so rounded. There is no edge to them at all. Yes, that's why the dude hates them. <laughs> my wife also hates the Eagles, so that's something they have in common. They both hate. My wife hates the song "Hotel California," which honestly I think is interesting. If you think back, the song that is used to represent Jesus, right, is, is an Eagles. Yeah. Um, so let's rank it. Where do we put this one? Oh, it's it's it. easily rewatchable. Um, I don't know if it's one of the great movies of all time, but I would say it's rewatchable and probably one of my personal favorites. Um, but it is, it's a great movie. Yeah, absolutely. You could rewatch it multiple times in a year, even potentially. I mean, we've, we used to watch it probably once a week, right? right. Uh, if that, uh, all right, some quick plugs, uh, actually before we do plugs, uh, recommendations, what do you got for us this week? You know, I was thinking about this. We just did our recommendations the other day. I will say go for the E.H. Taylor small batch. Gone. Delicious. Amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of any music. I, you know, me and Katie, uh, my wife, went to see um, the Gaslight Anthem a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. 59 Sound is 10 years old. If you have never listened to the Gaslight Anthem, go pick up the 59 Sound. It's a great record. It's celebrating its 10th anniversary, and it's probably their best. All right. Awesome. couple quick recommendations. I will re-recommend uh, Kyle Mills, Vince Finn, Red War coming out September 25th, pre-order. Um, that great book. I talked about that last time. Uh, if you're looking for other book recommendations, because I'm only doing one a week, a uh, great website I go to is realbookspy.com. 
uh, one of the best, probably the best in the business, uh, if you like thrillers, but it's all sorts of books, great content on there, literally the best in the business for yeah. in terms of that. Uh, my beer of the week, again, was uh, Shovel Town, Twine Cutter, love it. There's one in Jim's fridge, so you can go have it after the show from when I came down and visited. Oh, also, man. if you get a chance, uh, check out some of Raymond Chandler's stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, very quick reads, nothing too crazy there. Didn't and he he uh, also wrote film, right? He well, there's a ton of film based off his stuff. Okay. He probably did too, but yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, Humphrey Bogart played um, Mitchum played. Uh, yeah, I mean, we. I'm sure at some point we'll probably do a film based on Raymond Chandler. We'll need to fact check that and see if he actually wrote any film. Yeah, I'll check. I think I think he I don't know if he did. He you know, he didn't start right. His first book he wrote when he was like in his 50s, I think. Wow. So which is so kind of we crazy. still have time, Brian. Yeah, we still have time. We still have time. Mm. Um, oh, one other quick thing that I found interesting, which is not a hate thing about this film. In retrospect, you would not want to spend a single moment with a single character in this film, would you? Would you want to really spend time with And I love this movie and I, I will think it's <laughs> fun. But would you really want to? Oh, and one more recommendation, because this fits into that. Uh, watch Always Sunny with Philadelphia. Yeah. Season 13 uh, premiered last night. And that's another great example. You would never want to spend a single moment with any of the characters on right. that. But nope. they are nope. amazing. Nope. Uh, no, the dude, there's really the brilliance of the Coens is there's nobody likable. The dude right. is not a likable person. No, you can like him. The Walter is a sociopath who probably killed his wife and Marty Ackerman and <laughs> has them at a, around a downing room table. Uh, the Pomeranians there, his underwear is in a bowl. He doesn't have any white underwear because he threw it right to Uli. And by the way, could we get an Autobahn album? Right. Uh, that's what I want. It's Flea. Is, Flea it, is, can, Flea is can, one of the nihilists. Can we get Autobahn? to perform on the show because i would love i love i think of autobahn as kind of a it would be great like a blue monday techno <laughs> beat track rocking out we could put it on vinyl and uh it could be an episode in itself that would yeah. be amazing uh plugs jim what do we got to plug yeah nothing really uh follow us on twitter at uh uh, we're com majors. You can find us at majors com, uh, on Twitter. Uh, look for us on Facebook. Um, we are going to be on stitcher. We're going to be on Apple, uh, iTunes will be Google play. We'll be on all the, uh, podcast stuff, uh, relatively soon looking to get that squared away. You can also check us out on YouTube. Um, and you can always follow us. Uh, if you want to join in for a live taping, you can always come to, um, twitch.tv slash soldier on TV. And that's where we broadcast live when we record this. So if anyone wants to join in, there's a chat feature. So you can, uh, you can basically jump in and, and be part of the conversation. That'd be great. And great responses to uh, thank you to everybody. We had a lot of views for the first one already, and it's only been up a day. And it could have been away. our mothers. It could have been yeah. just the moms. I, not, I, I thought that for a while, but it probably about half of them probably was. Yeah. But please keep 
feel free to keep sharing. Let us know what movies you want. Send us ideas. Send us things you want fact-checked. Pretty excited. Next week, we're going to be delving into, uh, you know, the first couple of films we were going to pick because we weren't sure what's going on here. Next week, a real big one um, from the 90s as well. 25th anniversary review of Jurassic Park. Yep. So pretty excited about that. And this is really cool. Mark your calendars. I, I just saw this before we started recording on September 16th, 18th and 19th Jurassic Park is being re-released into theaters in honor of its 25th anniversary. So you can listen uh, to the podcast and go, or you perhaps could uh, put your headphones on in the theater and have a completely (laughs) immersive com majors, um, com majors experience and listen to com majors talk about Jurassic Park as you watch Jurassic Park. You know, it's funny. I've never been a huge Jurassic Park fan. So uh, it'll be interesting to revisit that. I, I don't I've seen it a few times, but it's not one of my favorites. So, no, I just rewatched it um, recently. So Excellent. I'm interested. I'm interested to talk about it. We got, yeah. I'm already I will not be reading a book for the Jurassic Park review. I read and the I book. Should, I should quickly. The book is amazing. We'll save that for next week. I should point out Jim was wearing his little Lebowski over his shirt. I just want to thank my brother, Kevin, who for Christmas one year gave me uh, for those on the podcast. I'll describe it. I'm wearing uh, if you're watching, you can see it. Uh, the Vitruvian man from Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, they have replaced the Vitruvian man with the dude. So. <laughs> Fantastic T-shirt. I thank my brother, Kevin, uh, immensely for that shirt. I am only allowed to wear this on my podcast. Uh, My wife has told me I'm never allowed to wear it in public um, at all. So, yep. Lost for all Jim, but it was awesome. Um, People, unless you're a hardcore Lebowski fan, I I hope you stuck with us through there. But uh, it was pretty awesome. Good to talk to you, buddy. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good, buddy. See you.